You're listening to a podcast from 702. 702. The Naked Scientist. The Naked Scientist brings you all of your questions on 011-883-0702 and the WhatsApp line 072-702-1702. Happy Monday, Doctor. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks, and you? Yeah, I'm doing all right, thank you very much. It's a bank holiday Monday here, so it's time to get all that DIY done that everyone's been putting off for months on end. What is a bank? There. What is a bank holiday? Well, bank holidays are public holidays. That's the, the other word for them. It's basically oh. a universal day off for everybody, but they're called bank holidays. I'm not really sure why they're called bank holidays, other than the fact that probably the banks went on holiday those days, and um, because money makes the world go around, everyone gave them undue precedence. But these days it means everybody. So you guys are not celebrating or remembering anything. You're just taking a day off. Uh, just having a day off, yeah. What's wow. not to like, apart from the fact there's all this DIY to do. But there we are. Oh, wow. Okay. We were just talking about days we need to cancel last week on the show because we've got 12 public holidays and somebody said um, in, there's a country somewhere where they bank. You can uh, actually just take an occasional leave day without giving a reason. And like in South Africa, we have 12 public holidays. And if the holiday falls on a Saturday, we'll still, you know, or on a Sunday, we observe it on the Monday. I'm so fascinated that you guys just have a holiday to just, just, to just not, you're not remembering anything. You're not woman, not reconcile, nothing. No, okay. they're just days off. But uh, they're always on a Monday, except when you have Easter, when it's a Good Friday is a bank holiday, and Christmas you. are also bank holidays. But also, when if those bank holidays coincide with weekends, they get bounced over to a following day that's not a weekend. So if Christmas falls on a Saturday or a Sunday, you would, you would have Monday, Tuesday off. Hmm, nice life problems. Let's go straight through to the questions. Mohammed asks, for the naked scientist, is hydrogen peroxide can kill Bacillus subtilis. Uh, Bacillus subtilis is one of the anaerobic bacteria you find in the average human gut. And hydrogen peroxide is the kind of stuff you find in sterilizing and cleansing agents, in contact lens sterilizing agents, in tooth whitening and cleaning agents. It's basically a bleach and it works by being pretty reactive. It releases uh, hydrogen and water as it degrades, not hydrogen, it releases water and oxygen as it degrades. So it's highly oxidizing because as it does that, it produces various free radicals and it will attack anything that is a donor of electrons to it. And as a result of that, any living things are potentially damaged by hydrogen peroxide. It's highly toxic. So yes, Bacillus subtilis would also be, uh, I would say, quite promptly deactivated if you immersed it in hydrogen peroxide. All right, Anthony in Oak Dean, Johannesburg says, I have a problem with kidney stones since 1988. My last ultrasound showed that I have three kidney stones. However, I did pass one without surgery, so I still have two. The stone was sent to the lab to confirm what stone it was. They confirmed calcium stone. My question to Dr. Chris, the other two stones, can I assume that they are also calcium stones or one of the other three type of stones? Is that even possible? Well, the first thing is to say not just what are they made of, but why have they happened? Now, kidney stones are pretty common, but they usually reflect some kind of flow problem in the kidney or abnormal anatomy or some other chemical problem that makes them happen. There's a range of reasons why they can happen. Infection can also do it. There are some infecting organisms that will make the the pH of urine change and it makes it more likely to form stones. But 
there's all those different reasons metabolism right through to infection so if, if you have a confirmed history of this going on you need to have the kidneys properly imaged and investigated to find out why this is happening and to exclude any preventable cause firstly secondly you're probably not wrong with your assumption that if you've had one stone out you've diagnosed what its composition was probably reasonable that the others are going to be the same but uh, you can never say never in medicine and there are a range of reasons as I've said why you get kidney stones so it would certainly be be reasonable to to continue to check and investigate um, so I, I wouldn't just say assume anything but it seems reasonable to make that assumption all right let's listen to a voice note good afternoon Lebu and the naked scientist just want to find out what the, what causes the radiation in the moon is that radiation like a nuclear radiation Thank you, Chablani from Whiteville. Mm, radiation on the moon. Regrettably, I got two things fed to me then. Um, one which was the question, but it was much quieter than the other thing that was sent to me, which I couldn't comprehend. So could you repeat the question for me? So he said radiation it. that's coming from the moon. What causes that? Well, there are, of course, a number of different types of radiation coming from the moon, and the most obvious one is light, which is electromagnetic radiation, visible light. The moon glows at night because it's reflecting sunlight, and when the sunlight travels from the sun across space, the moon's surface is pretty reflective, and the light bounces off the moon's surface and then comes back down to us uh, on the Earth. The moon will also have in its um, material some naturally radioactive chemicals anyway, and the moon's surface is being bombarded by cosmic radiation, which may, under certain circumstances, render some of the things mildly radioactive. So all of those things could be a source of radiation coming to us from the moon. All right, I've got a question. Um, so there was a story of the Italian man who was the first to simultaneously test positive for COVID, HIV and monkeypox at the same time. A 36-year-old man, reportedly the first known, um, and the incident was first published in the Journal of Infection on August the 19th, which indicates the patient developed a fever, sore throat and fatigue after returning from a trip to Spain earlier this summer where he had unprotected sexual in- intercourse, a key trans- transmission risk for HIV. What are the chances of that happening and what does this look like now for his life considering COVID, HIV and monkeypox? And I know, doctor, you wouldn't know the severity of his symptoms but based on speculation well i say it's pretty likely that this kind of thing is going to happen because there's lots of hiv around and in the particular community where monkeypox is spreading there is more hiv and you're at higher risk of transmitting and passing on hiv and covid remains incredibly common as well so it's not altogether surprising you're going to see some people because in order to catch an infectious disease you've got to have close personal contact with the other person who's infectious so if you go to a venue where there are lots of people with lots of things to give away and you're all having close personal contact with them then it's not in altogether surprising that we're going to see people who do present with multiple infections and in fact people who run sexual health clinics know only too well that birds of a feather flock together and so when you have one disease you're much more likely to have picked up other things as well so we don't just look for one thing we look for many so this is not an altogether surprising outcome in terms of the prognosis i wouldn't say i would be overly concerned because this individual the fact that they know the diagnosis is very encouraging it can be managed hiv can be well managed with various drugs 
COVID, we now have various drugs we can use to manage COVID. And for a young, fit person, on the whole, it's relatively okay. And for monkeypox, the vast majority of the people who are presenting with it are having an acute febrile illness. They're not well, but at the same time, they do recover fairly promptly. So if the other diseases are controlled, then this individual should have a very good prognosis. All right, let's take a quick break. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two in the WhatsApp line O seven two seven oh two one seven oh two. We've got Dr. Chris Smith in the house answering your science related questions. Seven oh two. The naked scientist. O double one double eight three oh seven oh two in the WhatsApp line O seven two seven oh two one seven oh two with Dr. Chris Smith, the naked scientist. Doctor, a question uh, uh, reads as follows from Sam and Tembisa. Please ask the doctor why a small part of my bedroom has zero cell phone reception. I have to roll to the other side of the bed and then I get reception. Why is this? <laughs> I'm sorry, that well, is so um, funny. <laughs> I I have a pretty similar situation, although all over my house there are hot spots and cold spots and there, there's certain places where I just about can cling to a call, others where I'm guaranteed to have no call, no reception or just get cut off mid-call. The reason for this is mobile phones use microwaves as their means of communication with the nearest cell phone tower. And the phone handshakes with the tower and sets up a two-way signal. So the phone is sending data from the phone to the cell phone tower on one frequency. It's coming back on the other frequency. And so that's why you can talk at the same time as listen. And although not in some people's cases, as we've, we've all had conversations like that, especially with mother-in-laws. And the way these radio signals <laughs> Very work... Very shady, doctor. <laughs> <laughs> they, they bounce all over the place. And microwaves are... A, they're a form of light. They're electromagnetic radiation. They will bounce off and be absorbed by especially metallic structures. So depending upon how much metal, how much other material is around you, there will be areas where they, the waves have reflected and made multiple sort of reflections to, before they arrive at where you are. And because some waves coming from some directions will arrive and cancel out waves coming from other directions, you get this areas where there are effectively cold spots where the waves are at a low either because they've just been very heavily absorbed or because they've bounced off so many surfaces that they arrive in what's called an out of phase state and literally cancel themselves out and as a result of that just moving a small distance can place you out of one of these zones of reflection so that the relative signal strength improves and you can maintain a call and i think that's probably what's going on here Mm-hmm. All right, let's go to the lines. Thomas in Tembisa. Hi, Thomas. Hi, hello, ma'am. Mm. I just want to ask a question. Yes, yes, yes. I just want to ask a question regarding the animals in the water. Like, for instance, if maybe a dam can be built on a dry place, mm. and a big dam, then you find that uh, after that, that dam is filled with water, after a certain period, maybe some years, you will find animals such as crocodiles, mm. hippopotamus, and fish, and many others. So my question is, where do these animals come from, or how were they created? If so, mm. all right. Mm. And, and do 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 things like hippopotamus just randomly appear in bodies, man-made bodies of water that are created? Interesting one, this, because my children were talking to me about a, a pond in our garden the other day, and they said, well, where, where did all this amazing wildlife come from that's in there? There are water boatmen, other pond insects and snails and things. Did someone put them there? And I said, well, no. Very often these things do arrive 
naturally and it seems a far stretch to think well how did these aquatic species end up finding the water and finding their way there well the answer is there are a range of different routes in big animals do make their way in search of water so in circumstances where there are going to be periodic droughts or dry spells water loving creatures will actively seek out water so to some extent you can explain this on the basis of animals seeking a place to get water and also if they need to reproduce in water, obviously they're going to go and find a, a body of water. So that's one way. The other way is that some animals that come into water and drink and wash and so on may bring hitchhikers with them. And about 15 years ago, I interviewed a guy who published a paper in Nature who'd made this amazing discovery that there are snails that live on a group of islands called the Tristan de Kuna Islands in the Atlantic. And they bear a shockingly close genetic relationship to, or similarity, to snails in Europe. But that's thousands of kilometres away. So how on earth would a snail mm. get from Europe to these remote islands? They worked it out. The birds that uh, go to the ponds in Europe wander around in the water and snails glue themselves onto the legs, feathers, plumage of these birds. The birds then fly thousands of kilometres to these islands on their migrations and when they get there the snails drop off and they colonise a new area. So you also have got that phenomenon going on where animals that go into water take hitchhiking other species passengers with them and they drop them off in the new location. There are also some animals that aren't just aquatic and things like water boatmen, which swim around and, and, and are quite predatory in the water, they can fly. And so they will fly from one body of water to another body of water, and then they take up residence in their new home. So there's a range of ways, as well as people doing things like putting plants or dumping fish mm. into the water, because some people think, well, I don't want my fish anymore, I'll dump them down the drain or down the loo, and they then find their way into reservoirs and other bodies of water, or, or, or if there are floods, sometimes you can transfer species from one area where they've been living naturally into other areas where they go with the flood water. So there's a range of ways, and, and isn't nature marvellous? People just flush their fish down the toilet because they don't want them anymore. That's absolutely the case, yeah, and there are many examples of invasive species ending up in waterways in countries where there shouldn't be certain species because people have let them go, dumped them, and even flushed them down the loo. America has cases of this, and the same with snakes as well. If you look at the Everglades in Florida, there are enormous numbers of snakes that should not be there, and they've taken up residence because people have let their pets go. That is so weird. All right, a question coming through from Ursula on the WhatsApp line says, why don't we sneeze when we're asleep? Hello, Ursula. Well, we do to some, some extent. Sometimes people do wake up and sneeze when they're, when they're sleeping. But there's probably a range of things that go on when you're asleep, which are that you tend to breathe less. You tend to be in a place where there's the thing that's going to make you sneeze is happening to you less. If it's an allergy, for example, you've probably got the windows closed, you've probably got less pollen blowing in or the thing you're allergic to, so that's also going to make a difference. Your reflexes are down-tuned a bit when you're asleep, so therefore you might not be so likely to, to sniff up whatever it is that's making you sneeze and sneeze. And if you do feel the urge to sneeze, probably because you're awake because you're feeling pretty groggy with a cold or something so that's probably woken you up and then you sneeze when you're awake when you'd normally be asleep so i don't think it's a given we don't sneeze when we're asleep but a we don't notice and b we're less likely to do it all right uh let's go to tabiso in queue tabiso what's your question good afternoon guys uh quick question man and it's a question that we've been meaning to ask with my colleagues from the office over here for a few weeks why is it that when uh, women 
um, their their cycles tend to to sync up, um, you know, after spending some time together. And it is not imaginary, because I thought maybe it was in my imagination. <laughs> and, theirs, and theirs as well. And we yeah. listened to Dr. Chris a couple of weeks ago. We're like, you, you've got to ask him, mm. why is it? is it? Is it a nature thing? Is it a, a biological thing? Why is it that when women... Toby, so I, I can yeah. tell you it definitely happens, having lived in boarding school with girls, having worked recently on a project project for four months, all of the yeah. women our periods synced up by the fourth month. Uh, very good question. Uh, doctor, how do you answer that one? Um, there was a very interesting paper published in the journal Nature about 25 years ago by Kathleen Stern and Martha McClintock, if you want to look it up. And they did a fascinating experiment where they got women who had well-established regular menstrual cycles. So mm. they were on the button every month. They knew when their period was coming. They weren't using any kind of contraception or anything. They were just naturally cycling. And they got these women to wear pads under their arms to collect their body secretions, mm. sweat and so on. They then took samples of those pads and taped them under the noses of a second group of women who had very regular natural cycles. And they found that depending upon where in their cycle they were and where in the cycle the people who had the pads under their arms, who gave the pad to the to the women, were, you could change the length of the period by up to two weeks what? in the women who were the recipients. Now, this is controversial this whole area but it does have an evolutionary basis to it because the argument goes that if you've got a whole bunch of people who are cycling together they could all fall pregnant together if they all fall pregnant together they could have babies together this means that if you've got an infant whose mum doesn't make it or is lost for some reason there's more people who could say breastfeed nurture and support that mm. baby there's also the whole group can be uh, better able to defend a group or plan for a group who are all having babies around the same time which makes it more likely that you'll be survivors in the long term so there's a range of reasons why we think this might happen supported by this sort of pheromonal there are secretions that affect the hormonal cycles in in the body and that may be the way the mechanism that you achieve this synchronization if indeed it does exist broadly in nature that is very very fascinating all right let's go to another voice note Good day, Lebu, uh, to Dr. Chris. Why back to the moon, uh, Dr. Chris? Is it, is apologies, it really we did actually play this one. My apologies, I thought it was a new one. And doctor, just like that, we have run out of time. But all of that information about the syncing up of menstrual cycles and how it, 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 it works for our survival, it doesn't work for us as the woman involved. Let me just put it that way. Thank you so much, Dr. Chris Smith. It's a pleasure. <laughs> with The Naked Scientist.